0: red eye all one word for 15 percent off your stay at motel6.com that's a great deal and that's just something i've noticed brought to you by motel 6
1: now it's red eye radio gary mcnamara and eric harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America studios. This is Red Eye Radio.
2: All across the USA and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. Good morning. How you doing? Come on, get moving. Grab some coffee. Come on, let's let's uh, let's get moving here. Uh, all right, um, what we've been doing here uh, the last couple of days since Eric's off, and, and I haven't played as many audio cuts as I wanted to today because there's just so much uh, news that, that happened outside of what's going on in Congress, is we've been playing uh, different uh, audio cuts uh, here, a lot of uh, Mayorkas uh, and uh, a lot from uh, others testifying uh, in front of uh, Congress uh, this week. Uh, I want to play this audio. First off, this is uh, from uh, Secretary D- Defense Secretary Austin and uh, also General Milley out there testifying in front of the uh, House Armed Services Committee and uh, talking of a, about a variety of things, including Afghanistan, and really s- shocking stuff from uh, Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of State, who says he has no regrets about the withdrawal and how it happened from Afghanistan, which is mind-boggling. But I, I want you to listen to the general here. And and this really gets us back to you know there's really a contrast in what the civil servants and military say. That's a completely different, uh, a completely different focus and explanation of what's going on at our border and and in other places. And for example. If you saw last week uh, any of the the testimony from the Border Patrol Chief uh, Ortiz, Raul Ortiz, and he was pretty blunt, it's a crisis on the border, it's bad. And then you heard Mayorkas, and it's like, are these, you're telling me Mayorkas is, uh, is Ortiz's boss? It doesn't seem like they're on the same plane at all. Well yeah from Ortiz who's you know been in the border patrol for years and just you know as a disclaimer uh and he's an old friend of Eric's just so you know that. Uh but uh you know but, but you know Eric he's going to be straight no matter what and he always is. Uh but uh Ortiz was you know really straight and he's not a bureaucrat he's not a politician. His job is to follow orders and his job is To do the impossible. And that's what the Border Patrol, the Border Patrol has been told to do their job where if the boss, the ultimate boss of the Border Patrol, Biden, and then his uh, underling Mayorkas, if they can throw any of the Border Patrol under the bus unfairly as they did, they'll do it. But they still have to do their job each and every day. But you got the straight talk. I mean, they're under oath at that point. And Ortiz said, it's horrible. The fentanyl's horrible. It's horrible what's going on. You listen to Mayorkas, he doesn't answer any questions straight on. That's the difference between a political bureaucrat and a civil servant or, as you'll see here, a soldier versus a bureaucrat that is uh, Lloyd Austin. Well, at least one thing. At least Lloyd Austin was blunt on the fact that he had no regrets about how the withdrawal happened from Afghanistan. Because it gets, for somebody like me, it gets me upset because we lost. Because of the bumbling and the lies that went on in the administration, 13 American soldiers were killed. And that's inexcusable, and nobody's ever been held accountable for it. So I'm going to play uh, this this audio here, and uh, it is uh, let me just see which representative uh, it is. It's Representative Jim Banks of uh, of Indiana, and here's part of uh, this back and forth. Thanks
3: for five minutes, Secretary Austin. Last week, General McKenzie repeated that he has many regrets about the botched, deadly, and embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan and that he supports investigations into that withdrawal. A moment ago, you, didn't, you said you executed the President's order. You didn't tell us what you advised the President to do. But do you have regrets about the withdrawal from Afghanistan?
1: I support the President's decision.
3: Do you have regrets of, about the withdrawal or how the withdrawal occurred from Afghanistan that cost the lives of 13 of our service members?
2: I, I don't have any regrets. Uh, you don't have um, any
3: regrets. Secretary Austin uh, It's very telling. Uh, Secretary Austin, um, has there ever been any accountability for anyone within the Department of Defense for the deadly, botched, and embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan? Any accountability?
2: Hey, listen, our, our, our troops evacuated 124,000 people off of that airfield. Has
3: anyone and- been held accountable? If a Navy captain grounded a ship, what happens immediately? Typically, that, that captain is removed. That captain is removed. Has anyone been held accountable for what happened in Afghanistan?
1: To my knowledge, no.
3: You don't regret it? No one's ever been held accountable? Mr. Chairman, this is why this Republican majority must provide the accountability that this administration wants to sweep under the rug with what happened in Afghanistan. General Milley... Um, I, to be clear, I don't... General Milley... The, the great General President Milley, a few weeks did. ago, North Northcom commander Van Herk sat before us and testified about the situation at the southern border. You commented a little bit ago. You agree it's a, there's a crisis at the southern border. It's a national security threat to this country. Every seven and a half minutes, an American dies from fentanyl poisoning because of the drugs that's, that are flowing over the southern border. And since we've been in this hearing, that means 20 Americans have died of fentanyl poisoning. 99% of it comes over the southern border. General, uh, General Van Hurt told us that President Biden has never requested a single hearing from him, the, the, the NORTHCOM commander, about the southern border. Has the President ever asked you for a briefing about the southern border and the national
4: security threats? I have been in several uh, meetings and briefings, uh, principals, committees, and, and, and other forums, specifically about the southern border, and there's no question. With the President? Uh, a couple of them were with Vice President uh, and some discussions with the President, that's correct. Uh, Now, if I could, look, at the southern border situation is a very serious situation, and you know it as well as I do, and uh, that there's some, I think it's in the range, the reports I get is about 5,000 a day. You're talking about 35,000 people a week. That's an Army Corps that come across that border. Uh, And then with the fentanyl issue that you're talking about, Look, at it. I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but the ranges that have been reported to me is something between seventy and 100,000. That's an enormous amount of casualties and people dying, young kids that are dying in our communities. So there is a crisis at that border. Now, the question is, what do you do about it? And we have to work much closer, I think, anyway, uh, with Mexico. Uh, there's certain things that have to be done along the border uh, with the CPB and others. Now, that's out of our lane. That's DHS, et cetera.
3: I, I, don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to ask you this. So, yeah. so General Van Hurt told me, he said, quote, President Biden could ask under special authorities for the military to do more. That's what he told us before this committee. What special
4: authorities is he talking about? I'm not sure. I'd have to check back with General Van Hart about the If, exact if there point. are
3: special authorities, yeah. it, it's
4: well, mind-blowing
3: are, to me that the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, wouldn't use the military to secure our southern border if it is a crisis and a national security threat that you've agreed with us yeah, that not, it is today.
4: Yeah, if I could... It, I I personally think the primary, the lead, should be, on the border itself, clearly law enforcement, uh, as opposed to the military. Now, mechanically, could you line up divisions of troops? Of course you could. But is that the right thing to do? Is that the right way to do it? And I would certainly advise against that. Uh, We'll execute whatever decisions are made. But lining up – You would advise against the military doing more at the southern border? No. What I said was lining up troops and, like, securing the southern border with divisions of troops – now we are supporting the southern border with uh, several thousand troops and uh, logistic support, and I think the lead agency along the border itself should be the police. Now, this, mm-hmm. sir, I, I, don't,
3: I don't want to cut you off. I got to move on. Okay, but if sorry. General Van Herk said there are
4: special authorities,
3: the president is not using to secure the border. I'll, I'll find I'll out, out. We should be digging ones. into that find and you doing out. everything that we can. I'll Secretary get back Austin. Yep. Last year, in your budget request, you asked for. 114.7 million dollars for diversity and inclusion activities. This year you asked for 27 million dollars more. Does that mean that what you did last year didn't work and that's why you need 27 million dollars more? And how much is it going to take if you're already failing at, at your objectives with DEI? How much more are you going to need to succeed at it?
1: Uh, I just highlight uh, sir that as you know, we are directed by Congress uh, as a result of the
5: 2020 the ADA, have I, I year. I want to in,
2: Okay. <laughs> they cut him off but the one thing that you notice is the seriousness of the professionals i mean getting into the minutia of what you would actually do at the border that would that would be another conversation but you can tell that the general you can tell the intensity that he feels it's a national security threat it's a national security threat and it's a crisis at the border for those border cities and the general, you could feel the intensity when the Border Patrol Chief Ortiz spoke last week and other Border Patrol members and other sheriffs, you can feel the intensity of what the problem is. And I think it's important to note that when you have Mayorkas, who's supposed to be the head of it, or Biden is just completely ignores it, uh, whatever, it's Trump's fault. Everybody know it's Everybody knows that it's not. But Majorcus is like, oh, whatever, I'll just answer whatever question. You can tell there is no seriousness to a Majorcus. It's simply, it's a game to him. It's a rhetorical game. It's a cat and mouse of language and words and deflection. And I hope that if people have watched any of this or heard any of it, that they recognize that. That there is a huge disconnect between the people that are on the ground or the military analysis of it then the bureaucrats that are in charge of this, the bureaucrats and the politicians that are in charge of it, and they really don't care. And you don't hear that intensity and that concern for what's truly going on down at the border they don't give a damn i'm talking about the bureaucrats and the democratic politicians they don't care 86690 red eye
5: Farmers often complain about not being able to find people to work on their farms, let alone keeping those workers, and this seems to be the same kind of problem within the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says it's not just hard to find workers,
0: but. The biggest problem we have is retaining folks that we actually do get.
5: Vilsack told a Senate Ag Appropriations hearing that this problem is across all of USDA's mission areas, particularly its county farm service agency offices who are having trouble keeping workers on. On board,
0: The loan officers in particular, they get trained by us, and then a bank comes in and says, hey, can you make $5,000 more? And off they go.
5: Same with new USDA veterinarians.
0: They're excited about their job. They do an amazing job for a year or two, and then someone basically says to them, hey, in the private sector... You can make $10,000, $20, 25000 $50,000 more. Why don't you come over to the private practice?
5: Bill Sachs says the federal compensation system needs to be adjusted for today's workforce situation. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
0: This report is made possible by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Diesel and Sitco Lubricants.
1: Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE.
0: Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And Truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEye. that's the letters CPREDEye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6, and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about...
2: In Friday radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. I want to play this audio cut. This comes uh, from the House Rules uh, Committee earlier this week, uh, debating the Republicans' Lower Energy Costs Act, and it's Representative Chip Roy from uh, from Texas that talks about, you know, the energy philosophy of the Democrats. Here we go.
6: Act is to the extent that there's any question about the legislation before us is that we're not doing anything significant that we need to do going forward on undermining and eliminating the subsidies that are completely destroying the market, right? We can open up all the permitting in the world. We can open up the entire federal landscape to permitting. We can get rid of all these barriers to permitting. But as my colleagues on this side of the aisle understand, if you're subsidizing other power forms of power at the expense of people wanting to invest their capital for oil and gas production, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go seek free money and they're gonna go invest as they are in Texas, where of the current 795 energy production projects in Texas, all but 15 are for wind and solar. This despite the fact that the Texas grid is 40% reliable on wind and solar, soon to be 50% reliable on wind and solar. Texas is trying to figure out how to manage that and sustain a grid to actually be up, but yet they're battling the subsidies produced by Washington to pay people to produce unreliable energy. Unreliable energy that when the sun sets in July in Texas, means a quarter of the grid just vanishes at night. And on a windless day, everybody's running to say, well, where the hell's the power going to come from? Oh, I don't know, from all that coal, gas, and and, uh, production from nuclear power. But oh, wait, does that exist? Oh, but my Democratic colleagues running around saying, oh, we can't, uh, they're not producing what they can because they're trying to just profit all their, you know, pocket all their profits. Well, what business person is going to go invest money into all of the capital production to produce a gas-fired plant or a coal-fired plant if the federal government is paying people large quantities of money to produce the other form of power to make it cheaper, right? Cheaper. Well, it's cheaper because we're borrowing money from China to subsidize it. So, I, I look. I applaud this bill at least stepping us, uh, in the right direction in terms of opening up permitting, trying to undo some of the damage that this administration is doing to the greatest economy uh, that, uh, in the history of the world that is now, uh, you know, uh, been knocked on its on its heels. Uh, while we're watching China produce a, a, a two new coal fired plants a week on top of the eleven hundred coal fired plants they currently have in operation. While we have 250 and we're producing none, while we produce very few new gas power plants, also we can go ch- literally tilted windmills. While we're running around trying to chase this this fraudulent utopia, destroying American energy independence and our ability to beat uh, our our enemies around the world. So I appreciate that that the administration or that the I'm sorry that the leadership
5: of uh, uh, these
6: two committees uh, uh, or three committees.
2: Are- okay, he moved his microphone away. So. Uh- you know, you you hear that, and, you know, Eric and I have been preaching that for decades. You know, and we talked about here in the state of Texas, we talked about the free Zola that we had. And he hit it exactly right. When you have all these huge federal government subsidies, and the one thing he did omit, all that he did omit, but, I mean, he covered most of it, was... Not only do they receive the subsidies, so why is anybody going to put long-term capital investment into places where there are no subsidies when the government is subsidizing it to provide cheaper energy and you can make a better return on your dollar because of the government subsidies, you're going to go there. But the other point that he didn't bring up was, and the government is telling you that you're going to be out of business. As a coal plant, you're going to be out of business. As a gas-fired uh, electricity plant, we don't want you anymore. You're not going to be here. You know, it's a, it was like the joke that when Biden said, "Well, we're going to open up these permitting because we may need we may need oil for the next ten years." Nobody's going to produce it. These are long-term capital investments. And so I'm just glad that Chip Roy said it. That should be in that form consistently marketed by the Republican Party and talk about how insane it is and how, as we have stated, the Democrats are putting our energy security, our economic security, and our national security in peril with their energy delusions of how you're supposed to run a grid and it's obvious and everybody knows it sun goes down solar panels don't do it wind dies you don't have wind power what's going to back it up 20 years 30 years from now when those plants to back it up are gone what are we going to do it's unbelievable
1: So good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast available on our app and at com.
2: And I'm Gary McNamara. He's our Carly 86690 Red Eye. Well, it looks like uh, from uh, reports from the New York Post that uh, we won't be hearing anything on a possible Trump indictment. Let's go all the way through April. Apparently, this thing has stalled for whatever reason sources saying. And initially we heard yesterday or the day before that there was going to be, uh, no more grand jury sessions on Trump this week or next week. And now the source says for at least another month, they won't be revisiting the Trump indictment. Wow. I mean, just amazing. You know, it's when you, when you look at the, uh, We've talked about the substance of it and the legal substance of it. When you look at the politics of it, and we brought you the poll the other day, <laughs> where even a plurality of Democrats believe that it is a, uh, you know, what uh, what what Bragg is doing is uh, is is political. I just, I'm still shaking my head. You know, as I was last week, that they and I and Jonathan Turley was. You know, we're talking about we're talking about loyal Democrats. Uh, Turley was, um, uh, what's his name? I can't think of the other. Oh, the uh, the other uh, liberal lawyer um, who was saying the exact same thing last week. Just uh, Alan Dershowitz. It's just mind boggling. That's just making sort of making stuff up as you go along, trying to create law breaking, and it's just uh, you know, it's amazing. I'm n- I'm not surprised. That Democrats try to do it, but I thought that was was interesting was when you had like half of Democrats. When you phrased it, that Bragg was going after Trump while not going after serious criminals, where you had half of Democrats believe that it was politically motivated, that shows you how bad it is. How bizarre it is so I just uh, still shaking my head over it because it's like you just wow how how low will they go? I guess they'll go so low where everybody knows they're going low, and nobody's even trying to pretend that they're not. So we'll see if we talk about that here in the next month or so. You know, after we played uh, the Secretary of uh, Defense Lloyd Austin saying he had no regrets, no regrets about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I just thought to myself, how do so many military members that were over there, what do they think when the head of the Defense Department says no regrets? When everybody knows it was the biggest cluster blank that you could possibly imagine. And we know how Biden lied about what the generals told him. And I thought I would go and and uh, we never played this entire audio. We played a couple of minutes of it, but I want to play, since we're playing a lot of, since Eric's off and audio is replacing Eric this week. (laughs) Eric, you're replaced by audio. Uh, I wanted to uh, play these full remarks. This came from March 8th of, of this year. And it was the House Foreign Affairs Committee received testimony from retired Lieutenant Colonel David Scott Mann, founder of the Task Force Pineapple. They went in as a private organization because this was so incredibly and horribly managed, by the Biden administration and the Biden Pentagon that he went in to get people out. And here were here were his opening remarks to Congress a few weeks ago.
7: I'm here to relive August 2021 with all of you, not as a Democrat or as a Republican, but as an American combat veteran that's going to do my best to represent over 800,000 Afghanistan war veterans and their families, but with my own point of view. I'm a Green Beret and a retired lieutenant colonel with nearly 23 years in service and three combat tours in Afghanistan. I'd like to start with a question. What does an American promise mean today? There's a promise in the military that is both explicit and implicit. I have your back. We were trained that way. It's it's in our blood. But in August 2021, the leaders who held us to that standard went silent while our Afghan allies were left behind. The U.S. government may not have had the backs of our Afghan allies, but our veterans did. For as long as we've been a nation, our veterans have been a moral compass for doing the right thing, especially in hard times. As we try to figure out where to go from here, I suspect we're going to need that moral compass more than ever. You won't find many veterans sitting out here today who relish being involved in this Afghan evacuation. We paid our dues, and we tried to move on with our lives. I know jumping back into the quagmire of Afghanistan was certainly not part of my military retirement plan. But like thousands of other veterans across the country watching Kabul collapse on August 15, 2021, I received a phone call from a friend that absolutely crushed me. I'm not afraid to die, he said to me. I just don't want to die alone. Those were the words that dragged me back into the Afghanistan conflict. His name was Sergeant First Class Nazimuddin Nazami, but I just called him Nizam. His father was a Mujahideen fighter who was killed by the Soviets when he was four months old. He had no money, no family, no hope. Yet somehow he became an Afghan commando, one of the elite warriors who were trained by U.S. special operations to do really 95% of the fighting in the country. Green Berets, including me, who worked with Nizam, we loved him like a brother. He volunteered for every mission, every day. He was family. But despite numerous inquiries to the State Department, Congress, and even Army Special Operations Headquarters about his SIV status, Kabul was falling and no one was coming to help him. This was a guy who was shot through the face, protecting U.S. Green Berets from a Taliban ambush. And for me, he was the same guy that even while he was being hunted and texted by the Taliban would call me to ask how my kids were doing. Over the next few weeks, I assembled a small team of volunteers, mostly veterans from across the country, that we called Task Force Pineapple to guide Nizam and hundreds more to safety. We didn't have any resources or battlefield access or time, but we had something that a lot of people didn't, relationships and trust. We used cell phones, knowledge of the terrain, and an encrypted chat room to guide at-risk commandos and their families at night navigating through that suffocating crowd through an open sewage canal and then into position to link up with known NATO service members like Aiden who were standing watch near a four-foot hole in the perimeter fence. Pineapple wasn't the only group. There were hundreds of ad hoc volunteer groups doing similar work, many of them sitting out here today. From breakfast tables to basements across the world, Jane, a gold star wife who lost her husband, Chris, in Afghanistan. Will, a double amputee fighting to save the interpreter who saved his life on the battlefield. And dozens, even hundreds more. We helped hundreds of allies, but thousands were left behind and at great cost to this vulnerable veteran population who had already given so much. My buddy, Steve, who was racked with post-traumatic stress and a traumatic brain injury from an IED Screamed into his pillow and pounded his bed because his children were in the next room. As his former interpreter was detained at a Taliban checkpoint and was pleading over the phone, Steve, they are beating my wife. My children are watching this for God's sakes. What should I do? Can I fight them? Why is this happening? Jay, a former Navy SEAL in Pineapple, received a text on signal from his Afghan partner. My daughter has been trampled, sir. I know we're going to miss our chance to escape, but she's unconscious and barely breathing. It's okay my friend thank you for trying this whole thing has been a gutting experience i never imagined i would witness the kind of gross abandonment followed by career preserving silence of senior leaders military and civilian as a result of the way that we've left afghanistan we're on the front end of a national security crisis as 27 violent extremist groups are now operating on former NATO security bases with Taliban top cover. And I think we're on the front end of a mental health tsunami, as 73% of our Afghan war veterans say they feel betrayed by how this war ended. Calls to the VA hotline have spiked 81% in the first year since the Afghan withdrawal, and they keep coming. My friend Brad was found dead a few months ago in a Mississippi hotel room. His wife, Dana, confirmed to me that the Afghan abandonment reactivated all the demons that he had managed to put behind him from our time in Afghanistan together. And he just couldn't find his way out of the darkness of that moral injury. America is building a nasty reputation for multi-generational systemic abandonment of our allies that we leave as smoldering human wreckage from the mountain yards of Vietnam to the Kurds in Syria. Our veterans know something else that this committee might do well to consider. We might be done with Afghanistan, but it's not done with us. The enemy has a vote. If we don't set politics aside and pursue accountability and lessons learned to address this grievous moral injury on our military community and right the wrongs that have been inflicted on our most at-risk Afghan allies, this colossal foreign policy failure will follow us home and ultimately draw us right back into the graveyard of empires where it all started. Thank you and I look forward to your questions. Wow.
2: I wanted to play that so, you know, it because part of our narrative on the show today is to show the way the people on the ground are talking to you whether it's the border patrol Uh, Those that know the military that served in Afghanistan, what actually happened on the ground, the abandonment there, uh, how Mayorkas just, this is a game to him when it comes to the border, and Lloyd Austin, no regrets about how we pulled out of Afghanistan. They just don't care. But there are actually real people that are involved in it. And retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, David Scott Mann I think, very effectively asked very important questions for Americans. Do we stand for anything, and does our promise mean anything? And also brought up the fact that it's not over, as we stated. That's why the generals wanted to stay over there in Afghanistan with a light force of 2,000 people in control of that airport, because we were able to monitor where terrorism was, over there and we're idiots over here we're led by idiots we're ending the war and as he said they have a vote they didn't end it and when Biden sold that to the American public I hope the American public didn't buy it the polls show they didn't but that's what he tried to sell tried to sell that big lie it cost 13 soldiers' lives, and who knows how many loyal allies to the United States over in Afghanistan. It's reprehensible what this administration did. It's reprehensible what the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, said yesterday when he said, no regrets at all. It's just horrible. Eight six six ninety. red eye
1: We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's
2: Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric's off today. All right, this uh, breaking news overnight. Russia's main security agency said it has detained a Wall Street Journal reporter for what it described as espionage. The Federal Security Service said Thursday it it had detained Evan Gerskovich, a U.S. citizen. The Federal Security Service said in a statement, Mr. Gerskovich, acting on the instructions of the American side, collected information uh, constituting a state secret about the activities of one of the enterprises of the Russian military-industrial complex. That's a quote. The Wall Street Journal says they are deeply concerned for the safety of Mr. Uh, Gershowitz. Gershowitz reports on Russia as part of the journal's Moscow bureau. He is an He is accredited to work as a, a journalist in Russia by the country's foreign ministry, Uh, The FSB said it had stopped uh, the illegal activities Mr. Gershwitz was conducting and that an espionage case has been opened up against him. Uh, That's really the I'm I'm trying to see if there's anything from the um, editorial page on it yet. Not as yet. Uh, They accused him of gathering information classified this from the New York Post. Uh, as a state secret about a military factory. It did not name the factory or say where it was. i uh, just looking to see if there's anything new. So that's the latest that we have there, and that's going to cause, I think, quite a stir. We'll keep you updated.
1: This is Red Eye Radio
0: and